Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And we have with us today, Lynn Rulo. Lynn is a certified Enneagram teacher and also a certified Kundalini yoga teacher. Lynn has written two books on the Enneagram and yoga. They are Head Start for Happiness and The Nine Keys, and you can find her books on Amazon. We'll also include some links to her website and her books and just ways that you can learn more about Lynn because she is a fascinating person. She lived in the United States most of her life and then recently moved to Greece. And she loves Greece and is teaching yoga there. She also teaches retreats as well. But we're so excited to have her. We have a lot to learn from her. So let's dive into the interview. Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. But tell us about this new book project that you have, which is about 27 meditations for 27 subtypes. And I'm really curious about how, what your Enneagram type is, what your subtype is, and maybe even like a meditation, if you could give us an example, a meditation that would be good for your type. Yeah. So my new body of work, like you mentioned, is 27 meditations for 27 um, Enneagram subtypes. And it is building on my first body of work, which is where I linked the Enneagram to Kundalini yoga sets and meditations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea, you know, how I talk about it, the Enneagram gives us a really clear roadmap of where we are and where we need to go, but it doesn't necessarily address the somatic element, the physical piece. Kundalini yoga is like having a recipe book full of amazing recipes, but you might not know what it is that you want to create. And so when you put the two systems together, it's really powerful. Um, Beatrice Chestnut's book, The Complete Enneagram, gives us tremendous detail, not just about the subtypes, but the growth path for each subtype. And so because there are 27 distinct growth paths, I was able to take that information, bring it back to the body of knowledge that is Kundalini Yoga and map um, those growth paths to different meditations. So um, I am an Enneagram 7 and I am what's called the uh, intimate sexual one-to-one. So the words they use for me are suggestibility and fascination. Uh, my type is the least grounded of the Enneagram sevens. And as you probably know, sevens are not famous for being tremendously grounded to begin with. Um, so the meditation for my type is a meditation to balance mental energies. And the Enneagram sevens, along with the sixes and fives, are in the mental triad. So I spend a lot of time in my head, imagining the future, trying to work things out. This meditation is to help to balance that. And what it is, is a breathwork sequence where you inhale for five seconds, hold your breath for 10 seconds, and then exhale for five seconds. And interesting, you do this meditation with your eyes open, um, which is a little bit unusual. Usually in Kundalini yoga, we close down our eyes. This one, you keep your eyes open. And for sevens who can be a little bit scattered, it's really good because it actually helps us to focus. Um, So this would just be an example of, of that body of work. 
I love that. What is it about keeping your eyes open that helps you to focus? So for example, I tried Vipassana meditation for a while, you know, sitting in silence with my eyes closed and I would just daydream. I would daydream about what I was going to do next, the dinner I was going to have, what I was going to do over the weekend. Having your eyes open actually can keep you a little bit more connected to the present moment for some people. It, it depends. Um, uh, in this case, it can be really helpful again for the Enneagram seven and particularly the one to one seven. So it sounds like like a five senses meditation where you're paying attention and being present to what's in front of you, that that can really help a seven because not only do they need grounding, they need the present moment. And so maybe keeping your eyes open is a way to be present to what's in front of you. And like you said, if closing your eyes means you're going to daydream and be future oriented, not good for a seven. So that's not, interesting. Not the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not the best. Not the best. So you said five breaths. Uh, you hold your um. You take your inhale, and that's five counts of breath, and then you hold for ten counts, and then you exhale for five counts of breath. Is that right? That's right. And what that's doing is slowing your breath down to three cycles per minute. And what that's doing is actually changing the way your brain processes information. So I talked about the breath is like the steering wheel for your thoughts. And if you can start to control your breath, you can start to control your thinking, which is helpful for every single Enneagram type. So learning good breath control and breath work and pranayama is really helpful for all of us. Okay. Thank you. That's a good tip for the type sevens, but probably for all of us. And I would think that you might need to check in with whether it's more helpful to you to find the present moment with eyes open or eyes closed. So that's a good point is just see what works for you. And what works what's what works for you may change day to day. So it is it's not absolute. And I would want to yeah. be really clear, you know, these are kundalini yoga meditations that exist independent of the Enneagram. So you might be a one or a two, and that doesn't mean this meditation is not going to work for you. You should absolutely try it. It just means if you're a seven, it might be extra appropriate for you. Um, and as we know, the Enneagram is complex. So it's not like I'm just a seven and that's it. I've got connections to four other types that are direct, clear connections, plus the tri-type. So there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, but this yeah. is a good point. Like if you weren't sure, you know, wow, I should meditate. I don't exactly know where to begin. This would be a really good starting point for you. Okay. And where can people find this 27 meditations for 27 subtypes? You can go to my website, lynrulo.com and then do the um, forwards or backslash uh, 27 meditations. And it is there. <laughs> so Love you can download, there's a 30 page ebook. And then there's also a link so you can go to my YouTube channel and follow along if you want to have somebody doing the meditations with you for the first few times just to get the hang of it. Wow, that's it sounds like you've been very generous with sharing your work with people. So that's going to help a lot of people. I love that. Yeah, and I talk about it. I think of yoga and meditation as medicine, and I think it's important that everyone have access to the med the medicine. So I'm very happy to be generous with it because I think it's just so transformative. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of yoga, Lynn, and the Enneagram, can you tell us now, our listeners, when you found both and how you came about being connected to both? Yeah. 
So I found the Enneagram in 1995 when I was at a bookstore in Las Gatos, California, and I saw personality types, the Riso Hudson book. I had never heard of the Enneagram. I think I just liked the cover. And so I bought it and took it home and started reading it. And I had no idea that that single purchase was going to completely change the trajectory of my life, um, but that is what happened. So I started reading it in numerical order and each type I thought, maybe I'm this, maybe I'm that, until I got to type seven. And when I got to type seven, I was like, whoa, there I am, like, that's me. And it helped to explain not only what I was like, but why I was doing what I was doing, which I wouldn't have had the, awareness or even the vocabulary to talk about. So it was really helpful. And, but I think maybe why it really resonated so much with me is at the same time I was dating someone who I had learned was a, was stealing money from me essentially. So we were living together and he was taking my checks and forging them. And it was quite shocking. And I was quite young when all this was happening. So I was trying to like unravel what had just happened and how could someone do this? And the Enneagram really gave me a tool to start to understand kind of different behaviors. And so I started reading the unhealthy versions of all the types and identified, you know, I'll never know, but what I believe was my ex-boyfriend. And it actually accelerated my healing a lot because while of course I wasn't okay with what happened, I had a frame to put it in and I could understand it a little bit more. And that was really useful. That is incredible. What about yoga? Was it about the same time or I, I guess who, what came the first chicken or the egg, the, the Enneagram or yoga? The Enneagram came way before yoga. Uh, yoga came into my Kundalini yoga came into my life in 2007. Um, I was going through a relationship breakup, a uh, different guy, obviously, but um, we had been living together. We were splitting up. I was having a hard time with it. And his friend saw me struggling and said, mm, maybe you want to try Kundalini yoga because it helped me get through my divorce. I did not think of myself as a yoga person. I did not care about yoga. I was much more of an adrenaline junkie. I was surfing and paragliding and doing triathlons. That was kind of what I liked. But I was suffering enough that I thought, okay, I'll try it. So I went to my first Kundalini yoga class in 2007 was very uncomfortable with it. People are dressed in white and they were chanting and it felt very strange, but I felt really good after the class and I felt stable. And so I started going once a week and eventually started getting more interested in the technology of Kundalini yoga. Eventually did teacher training, not to teach. I just wanted to learn more. Um, but after the 200 hour teacher training program, I felt like I'd gotten so much out of it that I should share what I had learned. And so that is how I became a kundalini yoga teacher and how I put them together is because I'd known the Enneagram since 1995, I knew my type, I knew what I was supposed to do to relax my habit of attention. But if I'm very honest, it was going really, really slowly. I mean, I was still so anxious that making those changes was really, really difficult. 
what I observed was after about six months of a regular kundalini yoga practice, suddenly a lot of those changes that I had been trying to implement for years suddenly became possible. And so I'm really convinced it's the combination of these two systems that is the powerhouse. And I talk about, it's like you're lost in the woods and you're trying to find your way home. The Enneagram gives you this perfect map and says, here's where you are, here's where you need to go, but it doesn't give you any of the supplies. Kundalini yoga gives you all the supplies to have a strong nervous system. You're going to have lots of energy, but it doesn't tell you where to go. If you put the two systems together, now you've got the map and the supplies, and it can really accelerate your journey. Um, so that's my work. I love the way that you describe it. And that is one of the reasons we love the Enneagram and yoga combination, because it's both systems the, the I guess like the 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 tool the 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 tools set up for you to to get you where you need to get uh, yourself to and then helping you with the how. So I love how you describe the the map, the forest, and the supply thing. That like just all makes sense. And just for the record, I'm getting over the flu, so my my brain is super fuzzy. But I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. I love it. So yes, thank you for that. Super. <laughs> Great. So you are a seven and what we know about sevens is they are very adventurous. Sometimes they're even called the adventurer. And so you did this great adventure of moving from the United States. I believe you were in San Francisco and went to Greece. Uh, and I'd love to hear a little bit about the why, like what led you to move from San Francisco to Greece but also, um, I know from being on your website that you really fell in love with Greece. And so we'd love to hear about the culture, maybe even the things that you love most about it, maybe your top three favorite things about Greece. Uh, so tell us about that that grand adventure from the States to Greece. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um I always say it's the story with no punchline um, because people ask, you know, why did you move from San Francisco to Athens? And I had no reason, like literally no reason. Um, I do not have Greek heritage. There was no man waiting for me here. There was no job waiting for me. It was none of the regular things. Um, but it is more probably a story of intuition. Um, so uh, maybe late 2010, literally like from outer space, the thoughts started coming into my head that I should go to Athens. And I'm not an impulsive person. I'm a certified public accountant. I'm very like kind of not conservative, but I'm grounded in that kind of way. I'm not going to make a huge life change without thinking it through pretty carefully. So anyway, th these thoughts are coming into my head. And so I decided I would go and I was working for myself. So I told my clients, I'll go I'm going to support you remotely. I'm going to be in Greece for a month. Everything will be fine. I went. I had an amazing adventure. I made friends. It was just amazing. Um, but I knew it was kind of like a holiday. I went back to San Francisco. I thought I should do that again. So I came back a few months later, this time for two months, had a totally different experience. The friends who I had met had left. I spent a lot more time in my apartment. It wasn't nearly as glamorous, but I still loved being here. And when I went back after the second time, I started looking at, could I get a visa? Like, how would I make this work? And just sort of started problem solving it. Um, and that was back in 2012, um, I moved. And that's where I, I've been based in Athens ever since. Um, 
I love it here. Like I, I, it's the best decision I ever made for no reason at all. This absolutely feels like my home. Um, I love the Mediterranean lifestyle. The people here are so kind from the heart. Um, it's a very caring um, nation and people really care about you first as a human being and then they'll get to the financial transaction but they wanna make sure you're okay. Um, and I guess the other thing, if I had to pick my top three, it's very hard to describe, but there's something about the light here. Like it's really beautiful. And I just feel good when I'm in Greece. There's something almost like at the cellular level, like I look around and there's a way the light hits the land or I'm not quite sure, but there's something about the light here that's magical. Um, so those would be my top three, but I could go on for you know <laughs> hours. Um, it's, oh, it's I great. love that. Yeah, I've only been to Greece once, but um, it was such a warm and kind culture. And I I did love the warm weather and just, I, I don't know, like Mykonos was beautiful with the blue domes on top of the buildings, but there's so many pretty parts of Greece. So I, yeah. I can see that. I can see how you could fall in love with the people and with the land and with the light. Um, yeah. And so that's wonderful. I wonder... You know, as a seven, some of the work is embracing pain and suffering. Is there anything about the Greek culture that helps you to do that or that helps you with your sevenness? Greece is a very emotional culture, and that has been really good for me um, because I can, I mean, I have great command of the positive emotions, but less good command of the other, the darker ones. And for example, when I was here, my dog died and that was a really big deal for me. And here in Greece, like if you, like they ask, how are you? And you say, I'm okay. Like, they're not going to accept that. They'll look in your eyes and be like, I see something in your eyes. What's going on? Like they push you and push you and push you. And so you really start to break and say what's happening. And that's been very good for me, actually. Um, and you know, it's fine to cry, it's fine to scream and yell. It's a very emotional country. And, and that's been healing actually for me in a lot of ways, so. Oh, I love that. I love that they really look you in the eye and try to see your soul and see what's going on. That's great for a seven. That would be great for any of us, but especially a seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Lynn? Before I ask you the question I'm supposed to ask you, have you uh, have you learned any of the language? Or are you still <laughs> that is, you know, because Russian Orthodox and Greek Orthodox pretty much one and the same. So Russian culture considered Greeks pretty much their, you know, unofficial cousin land. So and the and, and the language is quite similar, but it's not easy by by any, <laughs> any stretch of imagination. So I'm very impressed. You'll like this. I actually have been baptized uh, Greek Orthodox since I've been here. So what happened is I became very good friends with the family that owns the souvenir store next to my apartment. And the daughter was 25 when I met her. Now she's 37. But anyway, during that period, she got married, had a baby. And I became the Nona, the godmother of the first, uh, her first daughter. And it, there was a whole thing about how was that going to work? But the easiest thing was for me to become Greek Orthodox. And I was very excited to do that. So I met with the priest, like all these times I read and studied 600 questions and answers and then got baptized as an adult. <laughs> I mean, it was a whole thing. <laughs> so, I love that. My husband had to do the same, but we, we got married in Russia, and in order to get married in Russian church, you had to be baptized, so he was a grown man, 
you know, stripped naked in front of my father and the priest and, you know, the whole thing. But, you know, it's nice. I think it makes for a cool conversation starter. And it wasn't. Here's the thing, like, and this shocked me because I don't consider myself a religious person. But after the baptism, after the baptism. Like I felt something like I felt like really energized the rest of the day. And like something happened, like something really did shift. Um, And again, I don't exactly know how to describe it, but definitely there was some transformation in that. So. Welcome to Enneagram plus yoga's meditative moments. It is that time of year, that frenetic, busy, last-minute shopping, all the things to do time of year. And I think that it is so vital and important to come back to peaceful pauses and peaceful practices in our life and to not abandon them at this time of the year, which is really tempting to do. So I just wanted to do a very, very short meditation just to remind you that meditation can be brief. So let's start with prayer hands touching our forehead, finding a breath in and a breath out and ask for peace in your mind. And then bring prayer hands to touch your lips, find a breath in and a breath out and ask for peace in your words. Then bring your prayer hands to your heart space, breathing in, breathing out and ask for peace in your body. And know that the Sanskrit word for peace is Shanti. So just asking for Shanti, 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 peace, in your mind, peace in your words, and peace in your body. And then find a breath in and a breath out. And ask for peace for somebody in your life who is struggling right now and needs peace and love. And then find your inhale. Exhale, send them peace. And then think of somebody in your life that you struggle with, especially this time of year. There might be a colleague or a family member who you struggle with and just see them in your mind's eye and find a breath in. And exhale, see if you can send them peace. And then think of a situation in your life that is difficult. And just take a moment to breathe in and out. And then one more time, find your inhale. Exhale, send peace to yourself in the midst of this situation that you're facing. And then take a moment to think of a place in the world, a place in the world of conflict, a place in the world in desperate need of peace. Hold these people and this place in your mind's eye, in your heart, even in your body, and find an inhale and an exhale. And then inhale. Exhale, send peace and love and light to 
to this place in the world. And then if your hands are not still at your heart, bring your hands to your heart, your thumbs touching your torso. Mother Teresa said, peace begins with a smile. So just find a soft smile and just know that you can come back to this meditation or you can find your yoga practice or time on your mat and just making time for peaceful pauses, for peaceful practices that bring us back to our breath, to our bodies, and to the present moment. I wish you peace. Namaste.